Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you doing, Jake? Doing great. Uh, weather here is beautiful, although we did have a hailstorm for about 20 minutes earlier today. Oh, man, we've been having some systems blow in and out, too. It's been crazy, but spring is here. I'm very happy about that. Yeah. So uh, before we start the show, I just wanted to uh, say thank you to all the folks who have been giving us feedback on Facebook. We've got some really good messages and some good suggestions for uh, future episodes. And I uh, just wanted to make a call out to everyone else. If you like what you're hearing, if you don't like what you're hearing, uh, if you have any feedback for us, please let us know. So go to our Facebook page and leave a comment. Come to frisbeeguru.com, leave a comment, or send us an email. And with that, let's get started. Yeah, we get to hear more from Donnie Rhodes and Alan Elliott, and we're going to continue with uh, some of their Rose Bowl journey. And Alan is going to give us a little more insight into the semifinals and uh, his uh, viewpoint of pick your poison. So with that, here we go. Tell, tell us about the, the semis and then going into the Rose Bowl. Well, here's the backstory in the semis. They did something experimental that year where they did a – at the prelims, there was something crazy because all the field event players wanted freestyle points. So there was, there was like a ridiculous number of freestyle teams, but a lot of them are just, you know, guys out there trying to get points. But they took – the top 16 made the semis. Well, they, they, tried, a, they tried a pick your poison where they, they went in order of the finish, and you got to pick which pool you were in and where you played in the pool. So the day, the day of the semis, Whammo has saying each team – each of the 16 teams has a representative, and there's a big curved bench – with the numbers 1 through 16 on it, and everything else is roped off, and there's a big easel back then, like the big flip pad like you used to have in meetings. And Dwork and, and Jason Salky had actually won by the biggest margin, so they picked first. And at that time, there was three, there was three teams that were favored in the ball, the Radicals, us, Joey, Richie, and Jewel. So whichever pool got two teams, that was going to be the harder pool. And so uh, Dwork and them went in one pool, Joey picked next. Joey won the other pool. We were third. We picked the pool opposite Joey. And then the, the, the Blasco's brothers came up, and they went in Joey's pool. And then it was Laubert, Loftus, and Meyer were next. And Dennis Loftus was representing them. And they're trying to figure out where to go. And the Radicals are picking behind them. So they, they figured out real quick, wherever the Colorado Radicals go, that's the harder pool. And so Bill Wright's representing the Radicals, and Bill says, okay, look, why don't you guys pass? see where we go, and then pick. And, and then they're thinking, well, I don't know. And Den Dennis thought Bill was trying to pull a fast one on him. They start talking about it some more, and Bill says again, hey, pass and let us, let, us, let us pick, and you'll see where we go. And finally Dennis goes, no. And he walks up and he says, I'll take the pull. So he picks the pull with Joey and the Velasquez brothers in it. And before he can even get his finger off the easel, Rick Castilla walks out of the crowd and goes, we'll take that same pull. Which, which now put, I mean, it, it, they realized right at the end, that pool was stacked. So they had, they had the Radicals, Joey, Joey, Richie, and Jewel, the, the Velasquez brothers, and Laubert, Loftus, and Myers all in one pool. And we were on the other side. 
And when the when the, the round started, I mean, there was teams. I remember the, the Japanese team was up, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this 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 routine would have won any any NAS event this year." And then Chris and 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 Rob were playing together, and they just smoked. Everybody had choreography. Everybody hit. And then uh, Krasno, Wooten, and Hubbard. I'd never seen them play. And Hubbard's like, oh, they had a great routine. Oh yeah, Hubbard's, Hubbard looked like Superman. He's diving around and doing all these flips and rolls, and like, oh my gosh, we're not even going to win the semis. And then we played last, and ended up getting hot and won the semis. And the Radicals went off on their pool. It was it was the best round I've ever seen. It was also a lot more contentious back then than it is today. Everything was so serious; it mattered. If you didn't win, you didn't get to do the show. You, it was your livelihood. It was it was life. I mean, it was everything to to people like me. I mean, I don't know if there were other people like me, but it was so serious. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a hobby. It wasn't a pastime. It wasn't even a sport. It was a livelihood. It was it was life. Except for Alan. Alan was just long to ride. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, Alan kept us sane because for me and Jeff, especially, we were we were so into it. We we just thought, you know, we were going to be the next great entertainers, and you know, and that and that was what was was you know in my head was was building. And if if we don't win, it's not just the money, it's not just the pride, it's not just winning. It was there was livelihood at stake. So yeah, it, it was contentious. You're right. So but, Alan, uh, did you have a similar a similar view of it? Oh yeah, I mean, well, by no means was I, you know, relying on frisbee for money or anything. I, I like I say, I flew everywhere. Uh, you know, I was going to school, so it was different for me there. But I was just real competitive, so I wanted to win everything. And you know, at, at the time, it was all about the competition. So I mean, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of head games. Me, I mean, Castillo. Great player, man. He was he was into the head games. He he'd mess with you before. You know, I, we we mess with the radicals in our routines. We we, we played Santa Cruz in '81. We came out playing the Twilight Tone. Uh, Donnie and I did in pairs with red T-shirts on, doing the tipping for the radic from the radicals Rose Bowl routine. And then I had turned off the turntable, and the music went, and then we broke into our song. We always played to Stark Raving Love, and had leotards underneath, and we took off the the red shirts just to mess with the radicals. We always tried to one up each other. That's amazing. But it's funny, though, because I remember this very much. When the Radicals hit their routine at the, 70, at the 81 Rose Bowl at Irvine, they nailed their semifinals routine. They, they were awesome. And the first person ran onto the field to congratulate them. I, little elfish Donnie runs out and jumps into Bill Wright's arms. And I, I, there's a video of it that I've seen, and I think that's why I remember it as well as I do. But it was hilarious. And whenever we nailed our routine, the first one to come out and give us a big bear hug was Bill Wright, too. I mean, it was, it was, it was as competitive as we were, we were still buds. We were still friends. I would ride to a tournament with uh, Bill or, or, or Doug or somebody would give me a ride to the next tournament, and then we'd be competing against each other. And we'd be like all cutthroat about winning, but then go out for a beer at the end of the day. So even though it was, it was, we messed with each other, we were still good friends and we were happy to see each other do well. We just wanted our best to be their best. Well, I just, I love that sentiment. That's one of the things that attracts me to this sport in general is that even though we're competitors at the end of the day, we're all friends. And just like you were saying, Donnie, they took you under their wing and started training you. I had a similar experience and I think many 
freestylers have had that experience. So it's a good, we use the term jamily to describe that. We're all kind of in the family together. It's really, really nice. Alan and I had a long conversation about uh, the evolution of, of freestyle recently. And we were talking about how, how back then, when I first started playing, it was tip it, catch it, sometimes roll it. I mean, we were inventing the moves as they went along with no access to video or anything like that. So it was, it was a little slower uh, to, to, learn, to learn the new stuff. The interesting thing about it back then was in, it wasn't until 79 that people were wearing nails. Do you remember that, Alan? I, start, I actually learned to delay in 78, and I started wearing nails in 78. Okay, so, so, so 78 was, was when people started wearing nails. I remember I used to eat a lot of Jello because I thought gelatin was good for my, uh, my nails because I didn't like to, uh, to, to wear the fake nails. They, they hurt my fingers. A couple of years yeah. ago, I went down to Austin with Alan, and he was like, here, put on a nail and try these rim moves because we were working out with Yarnell, who's, who's a really underrated player. God, he's good. Um, and... Uh, and my finger hurt for days after having put that nail on. I, mean, I don't know how we did it back then. You know, back back then, too, it, you know, it started out and uh, we didn't have access to, like, watching something on video. Alan was the first person to have learned freestyle from from video. Well, where did you find the videos, Alan? Well, I, st- I, I started playing... I learned to delay and started. I saw my first freestyle, learned to delay in 78, right before the 78 Bowl. And there was quite a few players in Houston, mostly field event guys, but they had gone out to the Rose Bowl in 78. So they came back with all these Super 8 movies of the Rose Bowl when Evan and Corey, uh, Marini, Marini and Jewel, uh, Cray, Bill King, and Kirkland. And uh, then they, the, some of the couple of the guys went to some FPA tournaments. So I, they had Super 8s of Rob and Roger. That year they fin- had all the second-place finishes, Joey and Richie. So that, that's how I learned how to play is, is watching those, those, those Super 8 movies because I didn't want to compete till, till I had a chance to, to do something. So my first tournament ever, we made the finals. We, we actually beat the brothers in the prelims. And uh, when I met Joey, when Rego Beauty introduced me to him, the first thing Joey ever said to me was, so you're the guy that learned to play from the Super 8 movies, huh? Like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's great wow and now that's how everybody's learning it's all youtube yeah so that's interesting you were talking i want to go back to what you said when you guys had a long conversation about the evolution of the game and where it is now what where where did that conversation go with you guys (laughs) go ahead don um (laughs) uh you know technically there there's 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 a lot more moves that people are doing now that we didn't do back then um and uh and so so the 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 vocabulary was smaller in uh, in freestyle we had less to work with um but when i when i look back on on how we learned and how how it evolved it, it at some point in the 90s when video became very normal and people were wearing nails, which, you know, it, it, it just, it just, it just took off in a, in a direction that, that, um, that it went where people had access to, to very complicated, very technical, uh, high spin, a lot of rim delays and skids and, and vertical stuff that just wasn't back then. 
and uh, so it, that's changed dramatically. Back back in the day, if you think about it, there there were probably three big revolutions in freestyle. Uh, the first being, of course, uh, the Velasquez brothers. They took it to another level, you know. And then I I would say the technical level, the Joey Hudaklin level, which was you know, my, my mentor probably more so than anybody, um, that level of technical, let's do things consecutively. Let's, let's put combinations together that came in. Um, and then the next level was, was, uh, the nineties in, in kind of where all the, the skids and rims and, and, and that sort of thing came in. That was the next big level. And, uh, and that's where they, they are now. In, in that level. And I think the thing too that came in afterwards was the mob up concept because that didn't exist back in the day. And, uh, you know, and sometimes I remember I was in Santa Cruz in, uh, 2013. Um, it was first frisbee tournament I had been to in, you know, two decades or more than two decades. Um, and, uh, and I saw it for the first time and I was like, wow, this is just, nuts <laughs> i had never seen it before <laughs> and i remember talking to alan about it i was like well, they're just like everybody's out there and they're running into each other <laughs> it was pretty funny it's it's uh, so that that's the evolution i mean i i think you know and I, i'm probably leaving things out um at some point the concept of dance disappeared um there was a definite uh, backlash against dance the not dropping became the, the, the foremost thing that that's the biggest well, difference to me you're, you're right though that was deaton's fault deaton deaton's fault. they never dropped they they did yeah. the hardest moves there were they threw so much spin that they would do two combinations in the same well off the same throw they would do co-ops that lasted a minute on one throw and they would never drop you you were already going to lose in difficulty to them and so if you lost an execution to you had no chance so it, it became about not dropping the uh, gym though were doing state-of-the-art stuff and not dropping and that 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 would didn't necessarily continue, but like I say, they they were playing with so much spin, it was ridiculous. Yeah, so I you know, interesting hearing you talk about all those phases, and I think there were pieces of them throughout the 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 evolution of free freestyle to where it is now, because there were skids that were happening back then. You know, Skippy and Tommy were really pushing that envelope mid eighties. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but they, they, the the stuff they do now is like. It's it's a it's a lot more evolved. There's 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 a lot more complexity in it. In the in the uh, '60s and early '70s, I was pretty good with a yo-yo, and I was watching a video recently of the of a champion yo-yo player, and I'm like, it was unbelievable. You just couldn't even believe what they do now, and it's kind of the same way. And see, this is another thing too. What if you did this? What if you took somebody who knew nothing about frisbee, and you sat them down and you showed them three clips two minutes long each one is the velasquez brothers from the 77 rose bowl the coloradicals from 1980 and a routine from today and you showed that to somebody who did not know a thing about frisbee which of the three do you think they would like the most they would probably like the velasquez brothers or the coloradicals because of the simplicity and the ability to understand it and I think that might be something that hurts the sport, developing new players, is it takes so long to learn all this new stuff. It's, it's really complicated. It's like 
Frisbee is so complicated now that we almost killed it ourselves by making it as technical as we've made it. Because the combinations are so extravagant, the skill level is so extreme. Whereas the Velasquez brothers were playing catch. So a, a young kid like me could look at the Velasquez brothers and go, I want to do that. Now it's like people look at us and they're like, what are they doing? And, and, and it kind of got that way by the time I had quit too. I mean, so and, and you literally can't play Frisbee without gluing a nail on your finger. How do you tell a 13 year old kid, okay, you got to glue this big chunk of plastic to the end of your finger. I'm done. They, they, I'd walk away if somebody had told me that when I was, you know, 16. So it's, it's tough. It's, it's, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. The other thing is look at the Frisbee sports that are just huge i mean what are the two frisbee sports that are just the biggest sports that there are disc golf and ultimate the frisbee is flying and it's flying really far and a flat flip flies straight and a curve and a tilted flip curves that's still the magic of it man that's still the magic freestyle got away from the flight and I think that's one of the things that, that changed it from a Frisbee sport to a, it's still Frisbee. I mean, it's still people love to see it fly, but it doesn't fly as much as it used to. It, it almost looks like it's connected. So I do want to say, you know, that's interesting that you're talking about it. Freestyle kind of got to a technical level where it wasn't accessible anymore. But I would say that's true with a lot of the footbag has gotten to a point where regular people can't get to it. So it's the nature of doing something, you, you push it. You keep pushing it until regular people can't get there. Skateboard is even like that as well. You focus on the technical side and the, the, the intricacies of the technical side. You lose some of the things that made it appealing to the crowd. Like I would argue that I, I wouldn't disagree that people like the brothers, the radicals, they were great. But part of their appeal was they played so at such a fast pace and it, everything was just continuous. Boom, boom, boom. There was no breaks. And it was just so fast, so continuous. That's the exciting part. And when you, when you get so much emphasis on technical, you tend to lose that. Well, I think that also with those guys, those two teams in particular, it was also a lot of musicality. And so even the routines today, the ones that are more musical, more relating to the music, I think are way more accessible to the audience than the, the technical stuff. So I don't think that's disappeared. Yeah. No, you're right there. I, I don't think that the nail delay is the truly most magical thing about Frisbee. And I think that when you look at the radicals and Jens and Irwin, or even me and Joey, we, we, we played catch for years before the nail delay was part of what we did. So we had this relationship with the Frisbee that takes years to develop. A lot of players don't develop before they try to learn how to, to do tricks. I look at some players who are trying to learn how to freestyle, and I'm, I'm thinking... You don't. You just. You just don't get it. You don't get it. But take off the nails. Play catch for a summer. I mean, and I mean play catch for hours and hours every day, <laughs> and then put on the nails, and your whole relationship with the disc will change, because it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful relationship when you have that that kinesthetic awareness of moving with the frisbee and around the frisbee, and not uh, there's just a lot of standing around. I mean. Wow, this long stories again. A couple of years ago, I went up to Portland for the uh, AFO or Freestyle Open. Is that what it's called? It was the AFC it, that year. Yeah, AFC. American Freestyle Championships. 
And, uh, you know, the, the, the competition was honestly kind of meh. But the day after the tournament, everybody went out to Oceanside. Ocean, is that what's called? Oceanside? The Seaside. Seaside. And oh my God, that was freestyle. That was frisbee. You guys jamming on the beach. You take people like Jake and Matt, you put them in a free in a in a tournament, and they're good players, and they win. What do you guys have? Like forty seven world titles between the two of you. Um, when when you look at competition, you, you're looking at um, a bunch of people who are trying to play a system to score points to get a trophy, because it's not the best freestyle. You don't see the best freestyle in competitions. You see it in the jam afterwards. What I saw in Seaside was completely different than what you see in a, in a competition. And it's, it's a much more beautiful thing. And I think it's something that people would much rather do than what they see in competitions. Yeah, I think the, that there's, there's definitely truth to that. And that the competitions really are just focused on what the judging system is. And so you get pigeonholed into this is what you have to do to get the trophy. And so people do that and execution ends up driving the boat pretty much for everything. So people do kind of dumb stuff down because if you drop even two, you're done. Yeah. But it's interesting because competition is the only thing that we really have. That's a cohesive thing that we can say, this is freestyle. Let's go build on it. Everything else is just we're in the park playing. We don't have clubs. We don't have a training system. I don't know. It's right now. Anyways, competition seems to be our only venue of back in the day it was the only thing also but it's not the best part of it and uh yeah you know it's it's like you put the the problem with the competition you should say okay at this moment in time at this particular spot we're going to determine who the best is and you just can't you can't really do that you're right about the judging system creates what is maybe you could do some competitions where you judge by a different criteria this battle thing that they did at at, at Frisbeer, that was a uh, that was an innovative idea. You know, anything to 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 mix it up. I, I would think that that you might find some some creative things happening. I think that you could have you could have a a throw and catch competition at a freestyle tournament. Wouldn't that be great? Like two minutes go, you're not allowed to do a nail delay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would I would I would pay to see that. <laughs> I think it would be great. Interesting that experimentation keeps popping up through our conversations. Uh, it seems to be a topic that uh, is certainly top of mind with a lot of our guests. So great to hear from those guys. And uh, if you want to hear more from us or would like to get more information, go to frisbeeguru.com and sign up for our newsletter in the top right hand corner of the website. Also, a donate button is right at the bottom of there. So if you like what you're hearing and you want to support us, we would love that. So with that, we're out. See you later. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbreeze with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check out our website at frisbeeguru.com